beautiful people, welcome to Deeply Felt, the podcast where musicians discuss the art that inspires them and what they do with that inspiration. My name is Rowan Smith. Thank you for joining me. Today on the podcast, friend, singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, producer, Mr. Lucas Davenport. He brought in the 1971 release from Funkadelic, Maggot Brain. We had a great conversation about it. That's coming up in just a few minutes. Stick around for that. Friends, I gotta say... I am exhausted. I've been stuck in a work bubble lately. I'm surprised I've been able to get you this podcast every other week. I've got a bunch of them recorded. It's just a matter of doing a bit of editing and and putting them out and giving them to you. Um, but even doing that on a on a on a biweekly basis has become kind of difficult. I've been in the in the middle of a, a work dash with all of my jobs, as is the case with most Americans these days. We have to have more than one job to make ends meet, right? Now, don't get me wrong, I feel very fortunate to be able to do the jobs that I do. I'm fortunate to even have a job to begin with. I get to be an art teacher, a musician, an illustrator, and graphic designer. Things could be worse. These jobs could be soul-crushing, but they're not. They're very fulfilling jobs. When I finish a project on any one of these jobs, there is a sense of accomplishment, and I'm proud of the things that I produce. So that's great right? I like that feeling. So I try to do it as much as possible because it also makes me money with which I can then pay my bills. I don't get paid for this podcast. I give this to you for free. I just like nerding out with my friends about music and the fact that anybody wants to listen, that makes me happy too. So I do that. I do. I try to do the things that make me happy. But lately I've been a little bit envious of the people that can do one thing, soul crushing or not, just a job, just a job job that makes them a lot of money. You know, someone that doesn't need to be artistically or creatively fulfilled at their day job. I need that. For whatever reason, I'm wired that way. I'm happy that way. I'm lucky that way. I'm lucky that I had a family that nurtured the things that I love. Music and art. Let me go to school for that shit. I was able to hone my craft to the point where somebody would want to hire me for it, right? Now, it was years of manual labor and menial jobs and holding on by a fucking thread to get here, but I did it. Everything I do is artistically fulfilling, finally. It was so goddamn hard, and why would I put myself through that? Because my heart and soul need it that way? I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I wish I didn't need that shit. Sometimes I wish I could just go to a fucking job with a tie on, get my paycheck, and then go home and have that, have my home life be my happy time, right? But I can't have that huge chunk of my day taken up with something that I'm not happy at. But I wish I could. Anyway, I say all that to say this. Uh, the song I want to play for you at the top of the show today is the 1980 release from Paul Simon, One Trick Pony. This album has been speaking to me lately, but this song in particular, just because I've been so busy and thinking about the nature of work in America, uh, it's about the narrator of the tune, so to speak, watching the one trick pony, watching the guy that has one job that he can do without even thinking about. He can throw on autopilot, get through the job, get paid, and go home. And the narrator of the tune is contemplating his own existence and all of the moves he's got to make just to get through his day. This tune is definitely in line with where my head has been lately. It's very apropos for me as of late, and I'm sure for many people. So I wanted to play this song for you at the top of the show. It's the 1980 release from Paul Simon, One Trick Pony. He's a one-trick pony One trick is all that horse can do He does one trick only It's the principal source of his revenue And when he steps into the spotlight You can feel the heat of his heart come rising through See how he loops from side to side See how he prances 
Simon's 1981 release, One Trick Pony. This album apparently came out at the same time as a film of the same name, um, also starring Paul Simon. I have not seen it, but while the themes of the album and the film are very similar, the songs apparently are different versions uh, of each song in the film and on the album until about 2004, I think, when Warner Brothers re-released uh, One Trick Pony with all of the different versions of the songs included as well as a couple of alternate takes and uh, and songs that weren't included in the original I believe uh, This song in particular was recorded in September of 1979 in Cleveland uh, The album itself has uh, an amazing lineup of players. It's uh, Richard T on piano, Tony Levin on bass, Steve Gadd on drums uh, Eric Gale on lead guitar. I mean, if you don't know, this is a pretty amazing lineup that he's got with him. And, it, and it's a lineup of players that I feel like elevated Paul Simon in a way. I kind of feel like up to this point, up, up until the um, late 70s, early 80s, Paul Simon was extremely earnest. He, his songs were beautiful and poetic, but I don't feel like they were as groovy as he got towards the late 70s, early 80s. This is the first album he had put out since the mid-70s, and I feel like he came back strong. Uh, now, that's not to say that the guys he had on his previous album weren't as equally amazing as these guys on One Trick Pony, but for me, I feel like the cats he was playing with around this time period, both on this record and in some of the live performances, if you can find some of the live performances from this time period, they're just amazing. I feel like these guys he was playing with at this time period really elevated Paul for me in a way. So, friends, do what you got to do. Buy it, stream it, rediscover it. Uh, what I hope you do is you go to that shelf, that saggy shelf in the corner of your living room. You thumb through a couple of dingy jackets and you pull the sleeve down off the shelf. You blow the dust off of it. And you put the needle to One Trick Pony one last time again. I promise. You will not regret it. All right, before I get into Funkadelic's Maggot Brain with Lucas Davenport, I want to remind you guys that I'm looking to reach out to you. I'm looking to build a, a, a community of music nerds like myself that just love the craft and the sound and the universal language of music. So please hit me up at deeplyfeltpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at deeplyfeltpodcast. Uh, I would love to dig into the nerdy minutia of music with you. So please, send me some songs. Maybe I'll play a few of them at the top of the show if they grab me. Um, let's make that happen, guys. I want to I wanna hear from my people. I know you're listening. I know you are. My stats say it all. You're, I, I'm, I got people tuning in from around the world right now, and it's beautiful, and I'm so thankful for it. But let me hear from you. Hit me up, guys. All right, I had a great conversation with my friend Lucas Davenport about Funkadelic's Maggot Brain. Uh, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Friends, this is Deeply Felt. All right. Hey, friends, with me in the studio today, former member of Triple Delight, former keyboardist and vocalist of the New Orleans Bingo Show, founding member of the Asylum Chorus and co-host of the Remainder Bim podcast, my good friend, Mr. Lucas Davenport. Lucas, how are you, man? Hey, man, I'm doing super today. I'm very happy that you asked me to do this. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, absolutely, of course. You're definitely one of the first people that came to mind when I was putting this podcast together. Um, all right, so first question is first, Lucas. What inspires you on a daily basis? On a daily basis? Yeah, broad strokes. Uh, beauty? Uh-huh. Really, like... 
one of the true joys of my life is being outside and looking up and just seeing beauty and trying to make a point of in my own mind of recognizing that mm. there's beauty in this world looking for around me for something that's beautiful right being present yeah 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 you know that that's that's what really moves me every day yeah you know? and and you're able to you're able to pull that into your work i'm assuming yeah or does your work come from like some other well I darker think, place i think that that, the... di- that directs my work in the sense that it makes me want to talk about appreciating now and fighting mm-hmm. for what we have now and making sure that this world that we have uh, continues to be a beautiful place sure uh, for as many people as we possibly can make it beautiful for fuck yeah you know i mean that's at least uh, like the stuff that I, I wrote for the asylum chorus especially uh that's the more lyrical stuff that i've mm-hmm. done and that's all you know, generally speaking, it all comes around to this point of uh, the time is now, right. uh, make it while we have it, right. and it's beautiful. So you know, t- take it, take yeah. it for take it for what it's worth because it's right in front of you. you yeah, know? yeah, man. So that, that's really uh, the, the the thing, you know, and and finding joy, finding uh, joy. which uh, today's album is really all about oh yeah yeah the album that that you gave me is is it's pretty joyful that's the word i'd use uh 1971 release from funkadelic maggot brain right maggot brain Brain. see i came to funkadelic after i i i I came to funkadelic somewhere around cosmic slop was my kind of my introductory record yeah so the earlier stuff i was actually really surprised as to how bluesy it is but all right so let's let's rewind a bit what uh so you land in new orleans when uh, about 20 years ago. And had you been playing music before that? No. No? Not at all. I mean, I had done uh, musical theater and mm-hmm. chorus work and, you know, little recitals and stuff like that. But I had never thought of uh, pursuing music as a professional pastime in any huh. sense uh, before I moved down here. Uh, and so what brought you here if not if not music, which is what I hear everyone's chance, answer is? Random bloody chance. Uh, I graduated from school in Chicago and I had taught elementary school and I was kind of fight, phasing out of that point in my life and uh, was at a kind of a a dead end in my career and life. And a friend came to me and said, Hey, I'm moving to new Orleans. Do you want to come? And I had never been here before. And I was like, you know, it's, it's as different from the Midwest as I could possibly imagine. So sure. Yeah. Right. Why not? You know? So we came down here two months later, found an apartment, came back to Chicago, got our affairs in order and then moved here in uh, August 1st uh, in new Orleans. Of what? Of 97. August 1st of 97. Wow. So you've been here longer than 20 years yeah uh, so i came down here and was immediately shocked and trashed by the heat sure. uh, in august of new orleans as, as is everyone <laughs> you know? come here at that time of year but uh working on you know i got work uh in in the restaurant industry uh working uh at, at clubs like margaritaville and some clubs on bourbon street and that was really the first time that i had seen professional musicians on a day-to-day basis you know like i recognized that there were professional musicians guys who played the jazz showcase in chicago guys who played the you know blues etc and blues clubs in new in chicago and i knew guys who played in bands in college but they never there was there was never any middle ground between those two types of people in my head it was either like hobbyists or grizzled veterans right you know or massive stars you know, so being in New Orleans and seeing that, being exposed to that for the first time and being like, oh, there is like a life of musicianship that doesn't resolve, revolve around those two ideas. Right. You know, right. it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can be, you know, like these guys are people who have raised families and they play at Preservation Hall five nights a week and that's what their job is that's their vocation as well as their art mm-hmm. and it's like oh you can do this as a vocation as there's a vocational aspect to this sure. that i had never seen or been aware of and then that's led to all kinds of roads like production and uh you know podcasting mm-hmm. and songwriting it's like oh yeah there's all these paths sure. uh, but i grew up in the most sheltered of sheltered midwest uh you know where i grew up the only music was pop radio country rate pop country radio uh classic rock and oldies uh and then the the public station had classical so you didn't your your musical horizons so to speak didn't start broadening until you got here well when i went to chicago so i I grew up in moline illinois which is uh, about three hours west of chicago it's like in a community of about a hundred thousand people but so I moved to Chicago and went to college and started meeting people who were into bands like Naked Ray Gun and 
early Red Hot Chili Peppers and early Jane's Addiction and right. the Dwarves and Elvis Hitler and the Cramps and the Dead Kennedys and the Melvins and Fugazi and Arnett Coleman and Charles Mingus. And, yeah, you know, you're just meeting all these different people who are experienced. Like, oh, I didn't even realize that this world existed. Like, the craziest thing I've ever heard is Roundabout by Yes. You know, <laughs> like, that's that's out music to me or right. Barracuda. But, you know, right. like, that's crazy music to me. But, like, going to Chicago and meeting all these people and being horrified by people's, you know, punk rock posters that were scandalous by my, you know, by my mm-hmm. 18 year old naive self sense, uh, you know, that opened my mind a wor- to a whole world. And then actually in Chicago, I first heard the meters and Lee Dorsey. And, right. you know, I had some friends who were into funk, which is kind of how I heard this album at the same time too. And, uh, you know, just coming down to new Orleans, then it was suddenly mind opening to know that, the path that led to bands like Funkadelic making this album was a path that involved th- people along these vocational points in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh yeah, the guys who play on, you know, at Madison Square Garden with Dr. John, uh, they might come back and play three weeks on Bourbon Street uh, just to make ends meet while right. they're waiting to go back out. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, oh th- that's a job. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I didn't realize that. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I came from a big musical family right. so i knew that it was that it could be just a, a job yeah um but i also knew i also knew how difficult it could be to make ends meet at that job even if you're you know at the top of your craft uh so it was definitely something that i always treated as uh um something i'm gonna try to do for fun and if something happens with it great yeah right at least in my older, the, the older I get, the more it becomes that. Right. When, when you're young, you, of course, you have big dreams of like getting that record contract or whatever. But I mean, those dreams don't really exist anymore. Not the way I wanted them. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. So how did you, it, you get, you get to New Orleans, your mind is opened up to the idea that this could be a vocation. At what point do you, what was the first instrument you picked up and when was it? Well, I mean, I started playing piano when I was a kid. Oh, okay. You know, and uh, when I got to college, I had some friends who played guitar and I was like, oh, I might as well learn how to play guitar. It looks great at a party. Sure. Uh, to be able to pick out a, a dumb Bob Marley song, you know, why yeah. not? Uh, and it was first when I got down here that I was like, oh, okay. Like that was also eye opening too, to realize, um, uh, two two lessons, one ill-learned and one well-learned. The well-learned lesson was that the people who put in the work, it shows, mm-hmm. you know. The, Ill, the ill-learned lesson was that quite often in clubs like on Bourbon Street and places like that, um, the clubs, the, the, the audience's ears are less particular and demanding and exacting than they uh-huh. would be. And so you learn a lot of less bad lessons in lazy and sloppy <laughs> playing. And, you know, and then there's this thing in New Orleans, which uh, I kind of attribute just to the amount of work people have, which is that there's not enough time to do really tight ensemble rehearsal. Very true. So quite often the bands you see down here are very loosely organized or the horns players are looking at the charts for maybe the first or mm-hmm. second time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's got the chops to pull it off down of here for the most part. But there's a different level of uh, precision and right. uh, and musicianship that you can achieve. It's funny. You I'm, know? Very often, I'm very often at gigs and I'm blown away by the musicians. Yeah. But then I think... I wonder how much better this would be if they actually had time to practice. Yeah. Right. Like I see groups all the time down here that are obviously like, Hey, you want to jump in on this gig? You know, the guys that have probably played together a few times before, but maybe not this particular material. Um, and they're, yeah, they're like you said, they're reading charts or whatever. And I, and I always think to myself if they had time to rehearse and, and it's It's amazing. Right. But just imagine how much more yeah. amazing it would be if they had time to rehearse. I mean, the amount yeah. of times that we've been on gigs, you and I sure. with a guitar player who this may be the second or third time mm-hmm. he's ever played it. And you know, it they great. nail it, sure. knock it out of the park, but mm-hmm. you're like, man, Imagine if just we think. imagine if we had had twenty hours of rehearsal for this this song, just this exactly. song, you know, exactly, uh, you know. So th- those were two lessons that you know, even I, the one the well learned lesson haunts me because it's like I don't know, I do I will I ever have the time to be that good? Right. And then the ill learned lesson haunts me in the sense that too often I'm willing to accept a lower level <laughs> of precision on the bandstand than maybe I should. Were we in a different yep. type of city where you know? 
you're not forced to to make quicker decisions right. decisions as quickly let's say sure i know, get that to excuse I, my own laziness and ill organization hey man i you know i've been there i've been on those gigs i've been that guy like i you know i know what that is to be to not only recognize it in other people and you got you got to accept it because you yourself have yes. you know i've been there too um all right so You've been a piano player uh, and a little bit of a guitar player. What's your first gig in New Orleans? Uh, you mean my first actual f- gig gig? Or? Like a gig, yeah. Well, I mean, I give can me tell both. You, What's I the first time you the, played in I front of people? I can tell you the very first show I played here in New Orleans was at Jimmy's. At Jimmy's? At Jimmy's. It was on some weird Wednesday night, and it was a three-piece band I had formed with uh, this guy who was working at the kitchen of the restaurant I was at, and Gene Harding. Love you, Gene. Yeah. So, and it was Gene's first gig, Gene's first band too. Okay. So it was, um, well, it, well, it was Trainwreck. It was green as green can be. Uh, it was uh, we'd played, like I played acoustic guitar and electric guitar, and Gene played drums, and Daniel rapped. Interesting. And. God, I can't even remember. Like, we had a couple songs that I might be able to, like, vaguely remember. <laughs> oh, but, I wish I could have seen this. What year that, was this? God, that must have been 98, wow. 99, you know? That was a bit before I got That's here, my but... very first thing. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to settle down here and try to do stuff that I know really well. And I know I can... I knew that singing wise I could hit, which was all R and B, blues, vocal stuff. So then I started this band that played Margaritaville uh, every Sunday and Saturday for like mm, two years, maybe three years. Uh, it was called Slick Wilson. Hey, it had the dumbest conceit Slick of all time. Wilson. Oh, well, what this, was the conceit? So the conceit was, and I'm I'm so embarrassed to say this, but it's you know this how this how it goes. It's you an know, exclusive. You're on a podcast. You got to be honest. <laughs> Uh, the conceit was the that we were uh, a backing band for a famed l- local blues artist by the name of Slick Wilson, but <laughs> Slick Wilson never showed up or would always cancel, <laughs> and he just never showed up for the gig. So we had all these blues and R and B covers that we did, oh, and I would hilarious. sing them, and we'd be like, well, well, sorry, folks, Slick didn't show up today, but <laughs> you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to do his material as best we can. You I know? love that idea. Yeah, man. I, I got the Dewey Cox it every night, basically. Oh. Nice. You know. That's beautiful. But uh, well, here's the the fun, and I swear to God, this is true. Uh, so we're playing one Sunday afternoon, uh, like during Saint season, and uh, uh, oh, there's two good things that happen to this gig. This is okay. the first one. Uh, it's the better of the two. Uh, and we're playing, and it's just a slow Sunday, whatever. Uh, doing all right, and in walks this grizzled old man with a like a little uh, kangle cap and uh, basically the same kind of shirt I'm wearing you know just like in his resort wear sure. stuff and he comes up and he's like hey man can I can I sing a song and we're you know like it's a slow day and we don't care we're uh, all in our you know 20s and 30s so we don't get, give a damn <laughs> sure man go it up and he gets up and he's like blame me the blues in A minor and we play you know he counts it off and he gets it going and it's like he sings it and Kills it, tears it up. The crowd loves it. He's amazing. He's like, all right, thank you very much. Good night. He's like, I got to go. And we're Uh like, Slick Wilson, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap, he showed up. Slick Wilson is here. There he is, everybody. Uh, The second great thing that happened was one one time we were playing and George Porter stopped and looked through the window at Margaritaville and watched us and gave us the head nod. Wow. Which, you know, which, you know, in New Orleans, it's all it really is about the yeah, old masters. Man. When the old masters cruise by and they're like, hey, all right. That's all right. That's all right. Speaking of, this was before I joined the group, but there are there are photos of it. It was it was just a few months before I joined the Asylum Chorus. Alan Toussaint, the great oh. Alan Toussaint, walked past the group while you guys were singing on the street during French Quarter Fest and came back. Now, to me, that's saying something only because... I know what it's like during French Quarter Fest. Yeah. There is music everywhere. And he came back and stopped to watch you guys. Yeah. That's fucking killer, man. Don't think Nicely for a, done. Don't think for a second. That is not the like here's like when I'm crippled and drooling out of my mouth in bed with all with Alzheimer's <laughs> and just totally lost it. You can show me a picture of that moment and that yeah. will be the one memory that I'm gonna be like, Oh yeah. Fuck and yeah, I'll smile man. right before, you know, I wet myself. <laughs> You know, it'll, yeah, it'll be the worst. Uh, uh, that's beautiful. yeah. That moment is going to be, that's like one of my 
high points of my life. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. and you know, I didn't talk to him. I didn't even look him in the eye because right, I was yeah. like afraid of scaring him off. Sure, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, yeah. that's holy shit, that's Alan Toussaint out of the corner of my eye. Nudge, yep. nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, we you all know? got little stories like that, man. If you, you play know? in New Orleans long enough, hopefully. You know, you'll get that kind of like wink from one of the yeah. one of the elders. Yeah, I mean that. And really, that's kind of what it. That's the most you can hope for sometimes. Well, that's well, like <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of awards in town, and there's a lot of organizations that give out recognition, yeah. but it's like none of that is as good. Yeah. As that. Yep. You know, yep. like there's, I know it. there's a piano player in town. I just heard him talking about how. Uh, he got a compliment from Dr. John and he's like that right there. Yep. He's like, any, that's that's, better. that's, that's the best that's thing huge, I could ever man. get. You know? Doc John, I was playing, I was playing with Kevin O'Day, uh, West bank, Mike, Mike Dusan. Is that his mm-hmm. last name? Uh, yeah. and this cat Scott on bass, quickie Mart on the ones and the twos. And I was rapping and singing. And, uh, the crowd, we're at Bank Street Bar, and the crowd parts like the Red Sea, man. And Mac comes walking down the center of the aisle. Hey, right? Yeah, <laughs> here comes Dr. John, man, and we're all just like, holy shit. We don't, we don't stop playing. He comes up, Mike takes off his guitar and gives it to him. Mac yeah. starts jamming with us, man. Mac starts jamming with us. Afterwards, he went on some big, long tirade about other musicians in town that I don't want to get into. <laughs> Uh, but what was great was afterwards, like he came up to me specifically. I mean, I'm sure he did it to a few other, yeah. the other guys in the band. Cause he's a nice guy like that. But like to get that, like, Hey man, nice job. I'm, oh, I'm re- you know, like that's the best. And not even just like from across the room. Like he took his time to come up, shake my hand and be oh. like, that was, it was great. You know? And like, I, I was like, dude, I should be shaking your hand. Like, yeah, man. Yeah, man. So you were. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> was, but you know what I'm saying? I should be the initiator. I should be yeah. going up to him. Like, thank you for joining us. But he came up to us. Like, thanks for letting me be honest did did he tickle your palm with his middle finger Uh, (laughs) no but if he had man that'd be the first thing i told you uh all right so so dr john came up to me and i think he was hitting on me man (laughs) he started tickling me with his middle finger with his cut off finger uh all right so uh as as a musician in new orleans we are very often hit with moments of inspiration or moments that are so inspiring that they it causes us to shoot off in a different direction or to make music differently or to create something that we've never created before when i asked you about it you said that one of your turning points was what album maggot brain maggot brain from funkadelic, funkadelic 1971 sure. right yeah the year before i was born. how did you discover maggot brain oh man maggot brain and i have a long and and tortured history and there's i was thinking about it on the way here i was like there are two big lessons that maggot brain has well t- the the first thing that maggot brain i learned from it was overcoming your initial perceptions mm-hmm. uh, i mean let's just start from the album cover from this thing uh, yeah. it's terrifying it is it terrifying. Is ter- it's like that- legitimately scary a lot of their album covers kind of scared me yeah but this one is a photo Mm -hmm. of a woman's head Mm -hmm. yelling woman's head sticking out of the earth and with maggots in her head yeah you know it's terror it's scary it's it it's pretty terrifying i'd put it cosmic slop which was again which was the album that that got me into funkadelic was also it's still it, it was a cartoon on the cover but it was like a cartoon of a monster yeah, like a monstery so, kind of a woman it's with all surreal and, and, very, and very absurd yeah, yeah. so like i that's how my, i first heard parliament you know mm-hmm. i heard parliament before i heard funkadelic and parliament is basically funkadelic with horns and a more tighter and tighter arrangements more synths and stuff and it's a different it's a different uh record company yeah. yeah and then funkadelic is harder edged mm-hmm. like i this isn't even my favorite funkadelic album but as far as inspiration goes it's definitely key because it's taught me so much um like standing on the verge of getting it on that album is you know just banging um let's take it to the stage those are the funkadelic albums that i first heard and they're a little more tightly produced than this sure. uh they're also uh, crazy even crazier with more voiceover <laughs> yeah. and they're just you know they're just fun but this album you know the album i hear those albums first which and then i look at this one and this one always scared me i was like i don't want to hear this is i, I don't know if i want to listen to this yet because it looks I don't know what's going on. And it's really early in their catalog. Uh-huh. And it's like, uh, maybe we'll this put what, it off to the side. their third studio album? Yeah. And yeah. you can tell, like, it sounds like there's multiple studios that they that are being used in this uh-huh. production. Possibly, so, yeah. uh, so I finally get over that. And I put on the tr- opening track of the song album, which is Maggot Brain. Mm-hmm. And what is it? It's seven and a half minute 
guitar solo. One long ass blues guitar over, solo. Over the same form. Yep. Over and over with all these. And then like, you you know, you got to listen to it on headphones because there's all this panning and all these yeah, different overlays and all kinds of crazy shit going on. But it's long. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, God, what is the rest of this album? So those well, were the two some, first. Some of the same. Like there's a oh, few yeah. other just kind of like funk blues yeah. odysseys but brother right? when you get past maggot brain if you accept it's for its absurd crazy silliness and mm-hmm. just that it, it's almost a joke of itself in, in how long it is you sure. know like it i have in, there's a part of me that kind of feels like it is a joke they're like let's see how long a solo we can do and occasionally we'll say something about mother earth you know <laughs> who's the guitar player eddie what? eddie hazel eddie oh, hazel oh bad little motherfucker man oh man mm. oh God, very very Hendrixy, uh, but still his own thing. I would say that he and Hendrix would have been on parallel roads sure. had Hendrix lived this long. Mm-hmm. Like he he definitely picks up the tort the, the 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 guitar where Hendrix laid it. There you know? are moments on this album where I'm like, okay, either this guy is, uh, a, like, channeling hendrix somehow or he's like he's no. the closest they just live in the same house yeah he's just the closest thing they to totally that live in the same house look what's the what's the third track on this that it's uh oh shit what's it called uh super stupid is the one is, i think it is, is i think it's super stupid super stupid i think is the first song on track on first song on side two of what the album would have been no it's uh yeah it is super stupid it's the one that sounds just like uh, a Jimi hendrix song Oh yeah, and he just is burning it up and eating it alive, well, that's the, man. That's the thing. Like, so you all of a sudden you learn, holy crap, Funkadelic was a fucking great rock, rock band. band. Yeah, oh my god, they're so rock. They're they are hands down. This is harder than anything Led Zeppelin would put out. The funny thing you is, know? when I was listening to this, I when in my mind I've got a Funkadelic sound, and again, oh, yeah. it's more from like the mid seventies to the early eighties. I don't think of blues and rock and roll, unfortunately, right. because that is that is kind of the foundation yeah. of the group. Uh, I think of like you know, I think of the funk. Yeah, this album is by and large blues and rock oriented. There's yeah. very little of what uh, has become the sound of funk music. Oh yeah, right. But back then, of course, it was it was funky as hell. I mean, the guitars are a one hundred percent rock guitar oh, sounds absolutely. all across the entire album. The whole time, a lot of you the know, vocals are uh, real trippy, real. But they've maintained that psychedelic. <laughs> yeah, it's, this so it's, whole it's time. acid rock. Yeah, you know, straight up. So like getting through that, getting through Maggot Brain, the first song to finally get to, uh, uh, can you get to that? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, like, acoustic guitar. Like funkadelic with acoustic guitar, what's going on? And then the yeah, the piano kicks in. You're like, oh, this is loose as fuck. They yeah. are just having fun in the in it. Like you can hear them. Like people are way behind on some of the vocals. Like, well, look, let's let's dig into this record. All right, what, man. Uh, what uh, track do you want to listen I, to? First? Hands down, my favorite track on the album is "Can You Get to That" from Funkadelic's Maggot Brain, 1971. Can you get to that? Funkadelic's Maggot Brain, 1971. Can you get to that? Lucas, 
what is it about this tune that stands out as one of your favorites off of this record? I mean, first of all, the super loose production. I just love it. Like the drums are as flappy as like they they're are. like flags flapping in the wind. That they snare are. and the kick drum are just like. It sounds like an old kit that's in a Baptist church yeah. somewhere. You know, yeah. like everybody's way out in the distance. The singers are the singers are good, but like there's definitely no tuning going on. They're no. just singing, man, yeah. and like. And you know you've got multiple vocal lines inter- interplaying with each other. You've got the ah! yeah, right. all that stuff. It's just you know it's just joyful it and fun. And then the song is talking about like, hey man, wake up, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. wake the fuck up. It's it's very sonically, it's very uh, Sly and the Family Stone to me. Yeah, right. Well, well, I mean, like if you could talk about Asylum Chorus, like this is one of the songs where I'm like, oh man, this is the joy sure. that you can have from large vocal ensemble right. singing. You know, and this- to, to give my listeners a little background. The Asylum Chorus is a group that you started in what year? 2011. 2011, as uh, as kind of, it was supposed to be a one-off yep. type of show at uh, on Easter morning at Preservation Jazz Hall downtown yep. here in New Orleans, and uh, it just turned into it snowballed yep. into a group that went for eight years, and I was I was lucky lucky enough to be a part of it for four of them. Yeah, uh, and we we do have a couple albums out, ladies and gentlemen. Go check them out if uh, if you want to hear what he's talking about. But I know what you're saying, like those big joyful vocals. Is this was this one of the one of the albums that got you into the big vocal ensemble type sounds? Yeah, or? like I mean, I've always loved big baroque ensemble music. Uh-huh. You know, like. One of the you know one of the albums that I was like really considering doing was the uh, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack because uh, <laughs> I, I love me some Bee Gees and one of the things I love about them is just these huge arrangements, huge arrangements you know, huge yeah. not only vocal arrangements just or band arrangements you got sure. strings synths sure. keys multiple guitars basses vocals that, that late seventies yeah late 70s all BGs, that stuff yeah. you know and like I mean even in modern music I really am drawn to you know big overwhelming sure. stuff that shows just a lot of go- that's got a lot going on and this song has got a lot going on but in the laziest and mo- loosest <laughs> way possible and I mean that with nothing but love like yeah, it's it, just like joyful it's, like you were saying with the uh, the acoustic guitar yeah. it's surprising to hear on a Funkadelic album right. number one uh, but while yes there's a lot happening it still feels because of maybe the lazy delivery of it or not necessarily lazy but just kind of loose loose delivery of it uh it feels kind of stripped down yeah right uh whereas there's actually a big sound there yeah i mean you got that piano like Mm -hmm. it feels like the piano is pretty close to you the drums and the bass are somewhere in the back of the church uh the vocalists are right up in your ear like everything is just all over the place mix wise and it's wonderful you know like i couldn't love it any more than i do yeah you know and then it just goes right into so you're like, okay, maggot brain, ballad freak, guitar freak out. Now we've had this big, like, acoustic kind of funky folk uh, uh-huh. driven song. And then the next song is just balls out rock. It is. Like, they don't, it's like, we're just going to fucking rock. And, you know, it's got, it's a song built on a lick, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's, and that's hit it and quit it. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's listen to a little bit of hit it and quit it. And then, uh, and then we'll talk about that. I mean. Just take us up to at least to one of the or, to the or at least to one of the big organ hits, and it's All just right, like for sure. the change in sonic quality when those organs come in is phenomenal. Yeah, hit it and quit it from Funkadelic's Maggot Brain, 1971. Uh, this is such a rockin' tune. I want you to hit it.
Funkadelic's 1971 Maggot Brain. Man, what a rocking tune. Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, and Eddie Hazel just is ins- going insane. And fucking. his wah work is so oh, fucking right? good. Like, right? ah. He, when his when his solo comes through, it just like explodes, mm-hmm. you know. I I love the silliness of the background vocals. They're just having a great yeah. time, man. And there's that weird dissonant thing that they're doing in the background, but but when they're just singing along with those or, with the organ line or the, and the guitar line, yeah, uh, it's just so fun, man. Yeah, it's and so fun and rocking, and it it really, you know what it reminds me of? It sounds like a rocking ass meters tune. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? but but done with the silliness and I dare I say Elan ah. that the, I don't think the meters could bring to their that's right. not their thing right you know like this is like I can imagine a man in a diaper prancing around the stage <laughs> singing this song I cannot imagine George Porter dressing anything like that no not you at know? all like, like I said it's this it, it's the it's the riff and the timing that remind me a bit of the meters but yeah. the, the grit and the edge and the attitude it's, it's so funky. It's so George Clinton. That, right. That dirty mother. <laughs> he just, just the most brilliant and crazy musician. Yeah. I, I mean, he couldn't play. You know, he came up, he just came up with all these crazy ideas and these crazy characters and just, just down and dirty, funky dude. Yeah. You know, that came up with this crazy shit. Uh, who also ended up screwing a bunch of people out of a lot of money, but uh, we're separating the man from the art today, folks. That's right. Folks. That's right. Uh, so yeah, this album was uh, again late. I was late to this record, but when I heard it, same same seas. Yeah. Like I was very much taken aback by the amount of rock and blues and and again the acoustic guitar. Yeah. That I heard on this album, it was like you know these guys, these guys are proficient rockers. Oh yeah. Who, yeah. No. Who knew? You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, I mean of course people knew, but. I was late to it. I was late to that that era. Well, I mean, like, I don't know. There's an there's a song on "Let's Take It to the Stage." I think uh, it's called "Shit, Goddamn, Get Off Your Ass and Jam," uh, which, if you really want to hear Eddie Hazel go insane, that one I that's a, it's basically three and a half minute long uh, Eddie Hazel freak out, and it is it's like this song times ten almost because it's just strictly it's like multiple multiple Eddie Hazels freaking out on top of each other. I believe it's it's. A lot of fun. So, if there's something on this on this particular tune that spoke to you, uh, as as not just a fan but as an artist, well, what, what would it be? Uh, musically, actually speaking, it was it was when you think about motif, you think like along the lines of Miles Davis and like just these repeated motifs, like kind of powering powering it through. And not that lick is the same as motif, but the idea here, powering this whole song based around this one four bar lick, mm-hmm. you know, and building it up just sheer on the sheer audacity of your performance. Um, because it's not just the guitar performance that's powering this song. It's no. the silly vocals and, and organ everything, and, yeah. you know, everything is, everything is working towards the sum that it overcomes what would inherently be a stupid and simple idea. It's very true. You know, it's like, okay, there, you know, there is a path to that. And you also have to recognize as a, this is me speaking to myself at the time. Like sure. you have to recognize that there's an artistry to making that happen to like the amount of the amount of skill in your artistry to be able to pull that off beyond just Eddie Hazel's guitar soloing which is great but that's not going to be enough for me and I know I'm I like to think that I'm a more discerning listener that when I hear masturbatory guitar works going off, I recognize them. Yeah. This is like, we've looked at it. We recognize that it's masturbation. We're going to all get around it and jerk off into the the same same pool. You know, (laughs) we're going to have a party. We might put a maypool up, maypole up in the middle and put ribbons and dance around it. Like we are just going to have fun and the freak out, you know, like it's so trippy and fun. Well, You know, I, I feel like there, there is that, that, uh, masturbatory guitar playing instrument playing um but there are different places that it comes from and sometimes it's honest you know yeah and sometimes it's not and especially when you're a a nerd like us when you really dig into music and feel it on a, a not just like a a bass level but like you want to understand it and you dig into it uh we can recognize the difference. Yeah. You know, we know if you mean it or not. 
and this motherfucker means it. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He is spray painting it on the wall <laughs> as best he can. He's just exactly. putting it up there. Exactly. You know? So like musically learning, record learning and seeing that craft and that art and knowing, suddenly understanding like, okay, there's a performance aspect even to your recorded music that you have to pull off in order to make that, well, I don't even have to pull off, but when you pull it off, you can elevate your music to sure. a new level. It's like, okay, that is something that I'm still struggling to learn mm -hmm. how to do. And it's like, but just knowing that, okay, getting that from that moment. And then the other thing is knowing that it's totally okay to rock out as loose as you want to rock out. You yeah. just got to have you got to have the, the the framework and the skeleton yeah. built around it as a whole to allow that kind of rocking out to play within a framework that is not masturbatory yep. that has a point and you know even if the point is look how silly we are right. Eddie hazel sure is great at guitar <laughs> yeah. you know it's like sure well, you who know, cares it's, it's it's something that i recognize in some of my favorite artists across genres like uh um jay dilla yeah the producer jay dilla there were times when his beats would be hand done on an MPC. He would record, he wouldn't necessarily sequence them out in a grid. Right. He would hand play the shit. And sometimes the bass kick would be just a touch off or the snare would be just a touch off, but it gave it this, this is a Jay Dilla beat yeah. kind of a feel. You Got know what I mean? It's, it gets it, it, it's, it has a weird pocket, man, but there, but the pocket is there and it's, and it feels good to be inside. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, and, and yeah, same, same kind of uh, concept here where it's like, it's, it's okay to be a little bit loose and a little bit, yeah. you know, to the wind. But that, you know, that again plays into those two, that second of the bad lessons you that ill-learned lesson it's like okay mm -hmm. but don't be fooled because right. you can be it's too easy to be fooled into thinking that oh well if we're just having fun everybody will get it right and it's like well no <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. you're those guys and you're having fun and you're obviously like whatever weird thought process went into it whether or not be you know how much outer space it involved uh at least you thought about it yeah you know like yeah. we're like we're doing this because Right. Not, you know, not because, oh, it's fun. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's so learning that has been, a, you know, that's, that's important. And this album, once again, just illustrates that idea to me over and over. It's like, okay. I could totally see that. I could totally see how you'd pull something like that from this album. You know? Yeah. Well, especially when you compare it to their later work, where their later work is so much more tightly produced than this. And, you know, you've got all these different layers of synths and mm -hmm. voiceovers, and you've got, you know, real not that you know like uh, uh what's the word uh when they do voiceover work all the narrative the narratives that they build have got like a lot more idea to them well they're characters he's creating all these characters right. sir knows and and bootsy became his own character yeah and, and rumpelstiltskin and all these you know all these different cats that uh were kind of and they were also characters that were owned by yeah. george clinton and you well this is this is between Fun the Funkadelics doo-wop group and that right. group, this is that middle ground. Right. It's like, oh, right. man. That was you wild, know. man. It was a trip. Uh, but that's something he knew was that characters are immortal. Right? Yeah. Uh, so so creating all these different characters also that he kind of owned the likeness of or the rights to, uh, it became a way to not only make money, but also to kind of keep the music constantly uh, interesting yeah and forever interesting I mean you go back now somebody that's never heard of this shit picks up an album cover and they see Sir Nose on the you know what I mean it's like yeah I wonder what is this about you the know the clones of Dr. Funkenstein right? what the hell is this album fuck? Is, is that Kiss <laughs> on the front of this album cover what is going on here exactly man yeah exactly alright so if we had to, to pick a, a third track off of this oh, album oh god there's so many tracks on this album that I love and there's ones that are just you know that are just weird just for weirdness some out sake. there like jazz odd Odyssey shit. Well, not jazz it's, Odyssey, but more rock Odyssey stuff. Let me look at uh, the soundscapey, and then these these great blues jams. Uh, yeah, and, you know, and the album is only thirty five minutes only long. About a half you hour know, long, yeah. You know what? I think you and me, you and your folks, me and my folks, is actually just that's the next song after hit it and quit it. All right, is another excellent example. So you and your folks, me and my folks, from nineteen seventy one funkadelic album, Maggot Brain.
you and your folks, me and my folks from Funkadelic's 1971 album, Maggot Brain. This tune, like you were saying, it sounds like it's about to fall off the fucking oh, rails. Yeah, all the way. They're about to, like that train is about to jump off the bridge multiple times, <laughs> man. Like when they when they can land it back out of that chorus into the into the form, they're like, oh, yeah, finally it's, it's we a made it. Of fresh air. Oh my god, thank God we made it. I don't oh, know. Who, the you tension, know. the tension. Well, this is this feeds into the theory I was talking about while we were off mic is that I feel like the drums must have been bounced, and now they're playing against those drums. And the drums or the timing on them is not quite could right, be, you know. Like, there's definitely some kind of a weird echo delay happening with yeah. with a lot of the instruments. Maybe all of them can't really discern it, but it's a really crazy sound. Yeah, but this was another, you know, this is really kind of just reinforces the point from the last song. So like, it's a, it, having fun is a performance of it in and of itself if you can make it fun with a point which you know lots of bands have capitalized on oh and these guys were masters of theatrical performance and it's okay to fun and have fun and make a point yeah you know yeah, this man. is theater but it's it's conscious theater sure you know sure a and, lot of it and the fact that this is happening in 1972 or 71 yeah you know it's happening at the same time as uh rock and roll is happening it's like well this is a different style of rock and roll that you don't even realize what was happening and you know it's i don't want to get into the the race conversation of what happened to african-american rock and roll sure you know but it's like they used to be a very strong and present thing and oh like, absolutely it was you know uh, i mean it's all born out of the blues right the uh the church more likely right yeah, as, sure. as well sure um oh shit i was gonna say something and i it fucking fell into a pothole uh let's see uh black african-american rock and roll no nah, it's before that uh blues and church uh motherfucker drums i hate it when i do that and then you know and then it leads right into another eddie hazel freak out yeah the eddie dude the eddie hazel freak outs on this album <laughs> yeah eddie hazel's a, was abundant. A, is a monster he's yeah. an absolute monster definitely a freak show uh in a in a, in the best way possible he's got a live album out that's pretty yeah. or not a live album he's got his uh, he has at least one solo album I, I have it on vinyl it's produced by george clinton uh great guitar playing uh, doesn't what year it's later it's like 77 77 it's, it's pretty it's it's a quite a few probably, years after it. Uh, it was after he left and i know that he left over uh money disputes the what i wanted to say was the prolific nature of the band at this time yeah was nuts because not only were they on two separate labels as parliament and funkadelic at this time too yeah yeah i believe wow. so up until when was it? It was the early 70s. It was around here. They may have gotten that worked out. But for a long time, they were working on two separate labels, two yeah. separate groups, um, and which is was all eventually under the giant moniker of Parliament Funkadelic, right? Yeah. They put out four albums in two years. I think their first two albums came out in 1970, and their second two came out in 1971. Yeah. Like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. When you listen to it, though, you kind of get it. I mean... You kind of get it. I, like if you told me right now that this was an album of outtakes from all the rest of those songs, right. albums, I wouldn't doubt it. I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. It makes you know? sense, but at the same time, it's and that, but that's not taking anything away. No, I mean, it's still. It's, I love this it's album. A it's record, so man. much. It's so much fun. I mean, look, no, nobody gets, nobody has a thousand batting average. So even yeah. on this album, there's a couple clankers where you're like, oh, okay, you know, did we really need a nine and a half minute guitar solo to end right. the album? Right, but you know, you got to think about the time that it was made. You got to think about the other music that's coming well, out. I mean, I must be like, I probably listened to this album for the first time uh, in a position where I could follow my fingertips across the mirror. Of you course, know what I'm talking of about? Of course, I do. <laughs> so I do know I'm what you're I, talking I, about. I, you know, a nine and a half minute long guitar solo at that point. Fuck yeah! In a dark, in a dark us. room, it's like, hey, it's, it's going on. It's all right, you know. Make it brain makes sense. This sure, makes man. so much sure. sense. But you know, late sixties, early seventies. That's what you know. That well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that that's what I'm saying. Like, obviously, yeah. it's, it makes sense, and I, I have appreciated the album in that way. Absolutely. You know? But if, you know, if, if this is not, this is not the straight man or the square man's album of choice. You know what no. I'm saying? This is this speaks to a certain kind of person. Yeah. And those kind of people are my kind of people. This album is right? loose as loose can be. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, all right. So um, if you could draw a straight line 
from this album to one of your pieces? Oh yeah, I can tell you right now. In the okay. cane. In the cane. It's from a the song Asylum I wrote chorus. for the Asylum Chorus. And why? What's well, the... The, the in the cane is the, the the conceit of that song is that it's uh, a modern take on a murder ballad. Okay. So, you know, like songs like In the Pines, where it's like, I met a woman and I murdered her, mm. you know, and we fell in love and she didn't love me back or whatever, you know, whatever mm. horrible misogynistic or societal reason leads to the murder. Sure. Uh, it's a long tradition in bluegrass and country. And I liked it, you know, uh, Frankie and Johnny and uh-huh. all those other songs. So I kind of like the idea of it. And I really like the idea of like Rashomoning it, where you have. N- too often this is only told from one perspective so i was like why don't we have the victim speak why don't we have this the group you know the the community around them speak hmm. so different singers are saying different parts you know different perspectives ah. on the same event see i Which, came to the group after this right and when you're done i'm gonna explain what i what images were conjured in my head from this brilliant in my opinion tune it was it, to this day it's my favorite song that we ever sang um just because of the energy involved. So, uh, so you're telling, so each, is it each verse or each part? Each part. So from a different perspective. So I start off the, you know, the girl, the, the, the ladies of the chorus start off saying, what'd you hide in that cane boy? Uh, and that's the community saying, Hey, what have you done? You know, what have you done? Uh, and then they start saying, run rabbit run. And then I'm talking like, you better, you know, like you've made a choice now you have to run, you know? Uh, and then I'm speaking with them to the, you know, to the murderer. And then when we get to the bridge, the, the chorus starts singing from the victim's perspective, which is don't you lay me down in that wet grave. Lord knows I don't want to go this way. Drown in the throne of the dirt, drown in the ground. I've been down too long, Lord down too long, you know? So she's singing, she's singing back to him, and then we come back out of that where everybody's singing, everybody's talking at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how the song ends, wow. unresolved because you know, yeah. I, I, I'm, I couldn't figure out how to how to resolve that's it heavy. in a way that was satisfying. That's so, heavy, man. So that's how that song, but lyrically and structured, that kind of conceit wise, it doesn't have anything to do with the house album. But what it does is sonic texture wise and instrumentation and the looseness of it and just this like live feel to it that was what i was really wanted it to sound like when we came in to record the album right record the track so i was really trying i was trying to make it feel that way with real live sounding drums and you know everything kind of popping uh, i wanted to add the synth bass because i love synth basses and Sound, i love that I, kind I of love t- it, yeah. i love that kind of t- i wanted kind of you know i didn't want to do it old school i wanted to make sure it still had a more modern feel to it sure. you know so the drums are a little bit looser than they would they would necessarily be and everything's just a little bit you know just a little bit tightened and then rewind and then and then let loose just right. a little bit I, I totally see that yeah. you know so and that really kind of influenced how the song sounds right you know and then okay. we get the then you know once again like if you talk about can you get to that that made me songs like can you get to that made it clear to me that this idea of all these voices working on top of each other and working against each other, um, there is a way to do that in a rock palette. Yeah. You know, so you've got electric guitars and synthesized basses with filters on them and distorted drums. Like, what's going to carry across and how do you carry across? And looking at that as a model allows me to be like, okay, this is the way we can create the separation on the vocal tracks so that each vocal line you can be, can be heard and impactful while at the same time be understood as a part of the whole. Right. You know, and listening from the mix and engineering standpoint, like songs like that are were illustrative of mm-hmm. a way of doing that. When we played this tune with sick it always i feel like that was that was when the emotion of the song musically came across the best dr sick is a guitar player here in new orleans uh and he always he he would always bring this real heavy grungy rock element to what we were doing and i always loved it and that and it always worked particularly well on that song yeah well that's the thing too like this is not a funk song it's not a rock song mm-hmm. it, but it's got real strong elements of both of those Absolutely things does, yeah. you know so it's like you got to be able to bring all those ideas into it and once again like you know if we're talking about funk rock like here's Maggie this manga brain yeah. is like 100 <laughs> the moment and you could add a guitar to, uh, an acoustic guitar to the in the cane and it wouldn't oh, sound out of place and it's like okay this is how we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna use this kind of palette this uh template sure you know to kind of put it together that's really interesting man because and, and 
and knowing that there's that many layers to the song makes me love it even more because I'm that kind of kind of dude. Yeah. I like concepts. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. For me, uh, just because I came to the group after the song had already been written and learned and had been sung a few times with you guys live, um, for me, I just kind of, in my head, the images that it conjured was like a, 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 a an underground railroad, underground railroad type of thing where, you know, the, uh, someone's being like the there's the analogy of or metaphor of uh the the hounds chasing the rabbit or chasing the fox yeah you know what i mean the the hunt um the hunters versus the hunted yeah is 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 what i got and i always thought it was tied to the underground railroad for some reason uh just it's just got that vibe yeah well that's Uh, that's i mean that's totally the you know once again we're talking about like that kind of murder ballad mm -hmm. that feel right you know that's exactly what the idea is absolutely it's very it's uh uh to to quote my my good friend sybil chanel it's very evocative (laughs) it's very evocative high praise absolutely uh all right man well look man thank you so much for coming in today thank you for having me great conversation appreciate you coming through uh uh, ladies and gentlemen mr lucas davenport where can they find you uh let's see you can find my podcast the remainder bin uh on soundcloud itunes spotify stitcher all the places where you get podcasts uh that's a podcast where i sit down with my co-hosts and we talk about uh obscure albums vanity albums uh weird second albums just all kinds of little obscurities and fun fun albums that we find and talk about uh and then i you can find uh the asylum chorus at the asylum chorus.com or on Bandcamp. and then you can find uh i'm starting to post more music uh of my own stuff uh my back catalog on soundcloud you can find that under my uh soundcloud name which is licorice l-i-q-c-r-y-s uh, i've got some stuff up there from my country band and from triple delight uh stuff that isn't online triple sh- delight by the way streaming. sorry to, no, sorry no, to interrupt you triple delight amazing project man. Thank you. i love that record thank I you so much i'm Absolutely. super super proud of that album that was an album we did in 10 years ago now so mm-hmm. it uh yeah shout but, out to our good friend steve and Played David. drums on that on that album uh yeah and dave yeah on guitar just just a really interesting and uh artistic if you don't mind my saying thank you. that yes. was the goal that was the goal absolutely well lucas thank you so much for coming in today brother thank you sir uh we're gonna go out on a song that you wrote for the asylum course when did you write this one uh, 2014 14 what which album this is this on? on the second ep which is recordings volume two right on man so people if you want to get up with lucas and all of his musical doings uh look up lucas davenport look up the asylum course um and download it stream it spread it around do whatever you got to do but this is a selection from recordings volume two in the cane from the asylum chorus written by mr lucas davenport would you hide in that cane boy would you hide in that cane boy would you hide in that cane boy Where the gate is gone. They've been looking for you everywhere.
Yeah, that'll do it for another episode of Deeply Felt. Thank you so much to Mr. Lucas Davenport for coming through. And thank you to you for tuning in. Remember to hit me up at deeplyfeltpodcast@gmail.com or on Instagram at deeplyfeltpodcast.